As our children go to children's church, it's our uh, privilege to look in God's Word and uh, learn from uh, God's revelation to us, uh, His will and plan for our lives. Uh, one of the things on uh, this particular weekend, and this is a weekend in which um, obviously many uh, travel, and we're glad that you're with us on this particular Sunday to celebrate uh, just the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But we really, within uh, the United States, have two days where we emphasize uh, our gratitude toward those who have served in the military on Memorial Day for those who have uh, lost loved ones in any of uh, the wars that we have fought for the, our freedom or the freedom of uh, people throughout the world, as well as Veterans Day. And, and what's interesting, uh, just to take a few moments to focus on this weekend and just uh, those who do serve in the military, it's, it's a whole changing scene, as uh, you're probably more aware of uh, uh, than uh, those in the past, is that uh, you know, since we no longer have a draft, things have changed dramatically. Uh, during, during the Vietnam War, uh, there were 27 million Americans that was drafted, conscripted into the, the armed services. And, and there was a period of time basically when everyone served uh, their, their time uh, for our country. And, and now it's uh, less than one half of one percent uh, that are in our volunteer army. And what's, what's interesting, just, in just reading about responses by a variety of different people, uh, it, things have just changed in our attitude to, toward those who, who serve in that way. Uh, we now have in our Congress, uh, in, uh, in our history as a nation, the least amount of congressmen that have served in the military. And when now we've gone through three straight administrations where our commander-in-chief has, has not been involved in active service. And, and as I was uh, just reading a variety of different responses to this particular day, what was interesting to me is that as we look back on, on World War II, uh, some of the uh, veterans who are still alive from that war, they said, you know, I, I'm a little surprised uh, when I go to certain ceremonies and people ask, uh, will say to me, thank you for your service. He said, when we got back from World War II, uh, people didn't say that. We, we knew that, but because everyone was involved in it, you were thanking everybody. Uh, but we've had some wars where people have come back and, and they weren't looked at uh, with uh, appreciation but more disdain. And, and now uh, the, the culture has changed a little bit when you maybe meet a, a serviceman in the airport or whatever. Many people go up and say thank you for that. Uh, but we are, we are definitely living in a time in which people are wondering, what is this all about? And, and is there anything such a thing as a just war? And what really has now changed is our sense of who is the enemy. One of the things that happened as people went to war when the, when the war was over, you know, you, uh, the battle was done, you knew your enemy had been defeated. Now, in the sense of terrorism, you, you're not really sure who the, the enemy is, and you never get that sense that the enemy has been defeated. Even though there are some who think that climate change is a much greater issue for us than terrorism, and I'm not sure how you could put those two things together. Uh, but we want to be praying and thanking those who serve, and we want to remember um, that many have given the supreme sacrifice for our country by giving up their life, and it reminds us of what Jesus did for us and his statement. Greater love has no one than this, that one will lay down his life for his friends. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that there are those who are serving now and have served, and we pray your blessing upon the families 
and the memories of, of those uh, loved ones um, that have given the supreme sacrifice. We pray that you might give them a sense that uh, they are a noble people that have been willing to uh, be on the front lines. And we pray as we think about our life, uh, whether we're serving the military or we're serving um, in any way that we might recognize that our, our challenge of life is not to live for ourselves but for others and particularly for the one who came for us. And we pray as we look in your word today, as we think about a passage that speaks about times that are coming uh, in which uh, people need to be warned and prepared about, that we might live life to its fullest. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we, we've got a, um, a challenging goal this morning to get through a significant uh, portion of Scripture. And, and if you uh, look at the outline this morning, uh, the outline is described or is entitled Deception, Destruction, and deliverance. And throughout the message, there's going to be a variety of points with the letter D. So this message is given to you by the letter D. Uh, but as we think about it, as we've gone through this series in the, in the book of Revelation, there, there's two challenges that I wanted us to keep in context as we go through this book that many find overwhelming and uh, to the degree that they don't even want to open it and, and try to understand it. Uh, but this book really has two focuses. One is uh, that we might know who is coming and and then secondly, what is coming? And so in the midst of in all the details that God has given us out of this particular account of the things that will happen in the end times, uh, he wants us to put that all in context if it's all about Jesus in the midst of all that will happen. And, and so this morning I want to begin by simply making two points. One is uh, we're going to talk about who God is in the midst of the details in Revelation chapter 6, which will give us deception and destruction and deliverance. Um, but we want to understand that God is good and God is just. And, and as you were with us, many of you were with us in our series of Knowing God, we, we, we looked at God's word and, and, and just tried to understand, well, what is this message about the deity, the divine one, the supreme one in the universe? What, what, what do we know about God? And we can have a round table where people share what, what do you think of who God is and tell me what he's like and how do you know him. And we can kind of, and just share our opinions. And there'd be a, a wide range of people's picture of who God is. And it doesn't really matter what our picture of God is. What really matters is who is God. And the Bible says there is only one God. And then it goes on and explains that though there is only one God, within the one God there are three persons, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And even in the book of Revelation, we see all three persons of the Godhead displaying um, their involvement from the very beginning to the very end. But it also describes who God is in essence. And the Bible says God is spirit. Uh, We can't reduce him to our uh, physical descriptions of who he is uh, because he's beyond that god is spirit he's infinite he's t- eternal he's unchangeable in his being there isn't a god of the old testament and then all of a sudden he he switched the gear and now he's a different god in the new testament uh, a god of holiness and justice and wrath the old testament and then somehow meek and mild and and tame in the new testament god is unchangeable in who he is and, and, and whatever character an attribute that he has, he's complete in that. He's completely full of wisdom and power and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. And as we see, particularly those two extremes, God is good, but he's also just. That we need to recognize this is the God 
that we are called to know and to know deeply and to serve. And so I want to begin by focusing on the, on the goodness of God, particularly for his people. As we look about what is to come, the Bible tells us that, that God's desire up there is not to bring judgment and to bring punishment upon his people. And, and so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, we have these straightforward words. For, for they themselves, this is Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. Talking about how did they respond to Paul when he gave them the message of the gospel. And how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven. And that's really the challenge for us as God's people is that this is what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Jesus. And then he says this. Whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And this, among many reasons, why I believe why God has promised to us as his church that he will come before this great day of the Lord, this wrath that is to come, because of his goodness and because he has not destined us to his judgment here on earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, he says the same thing. For God has not destined us for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has promised that he's going to deliver us from his judgment. And this is not to escape any of the tribulations or persecutions or troubles that we might have in this world, but the wrath of God, he is rescuing his people. And then one of the reasons we're looking forward to his return is what's going to happen when he returns. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, and he's talking about physically sleep and death, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. And how quickly will that change uh, happen? It will be like in the twinkling of an eye. People try to figure out, well, how fast does your eye twinkle? Have you ever look at the person next to you and see if their eyes are twinkling? Okay, is that working? And how fast is those little light things coming? You know, some have said it's, it's one one-thousandth of a second. Um, and I don't know how fast that is. As some have said, if you could Im- imagine, and light travels at a speed of 186 million miles a second. Isn't that how the, the word is? Okay. And they say it's the, diff- the, the, the time it would take from the light to go from the back of your eye to the front of your eye. Now, I don't know about you, but my eyes aren't that big. Okay, so you're talking about a short amount of distance. The amount of time that light will travel about less than an inch is how quickly you'll be changed. And why is that? Because of God's goodness. And when we populate heaven, all the bad things that we we hold on to will be left. And we'll be in the midst of God's people uh, with sin of the flesh and in the world and the evil one who tempts us being gone. And in John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus made these statements. Truly, truly, I say to you. And I've said this to you before. Now, why did Jesus ever have to say truly? I mean, I, I, have you ever done that? With, I'm telling you the truth. And you're thinking, what, what normally do you tell me a lie? What's the, what's the point here? But that wasn't the emphasis there. He was saying, this is so good. I mean, when things are too good to be true, we think that they're not true. They say, no, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, present tense, and does not come into judgment. The judgment of God, the wrath of God upon those who rebel and reject him, we will not enter into that, but we've passed out of death into life. 
So the, so the goodness of God is that he wants to rescue people from not only the guilt, but the penalty of their sin. And he's going to do that in a grave, in a, in a gigantic, um, an enormous object lesson when he gathers up his people to be with him. And that's truly why, even at, at funeral services, one of the favorite passages of Scripture that passion-type people like me will use. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? Because I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. And so that's the promise of God for his people, because God is good. But we're going to be entering a section now where you're saying, well, okay, God is good, but he's also just. And the Bible says in Hebrews that it's a, it's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. And what hope do we have if we neglect so great a salvation? So God's goodness is coming, but God's justice is coming. In the midst of God's justice, his wrath will be poured out on this earth. In the final expression of the day of the Lord. Now this day of the Lord has been announced from the Old Testament through the New Testament. And there are two groups of people that will be focused on during that time. Uh, one is God's ethnic covenant people, the people of Israel. And in Genesis, and Jeremiah verse, chapter 30, verse 7, uh, the Bible says this is, this is the time of Jacob's distress. But it, it's not going to just be the judgment of God upon his people who rebelled and rejected him. It will be all the rest of the world as well. I don't have in your outline this morning, but either turn to it. Just listen as I read Isaiah chapter 34. 1 through 4, and you see this is a, this is a global experience. Draw near, O nations, uh, and, and hear and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains here and the world and all that springs from it. For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations and his wrath against all their armies. He will utterly destroy them. He has given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out and their corpses will give off their stench. And the mountains will be drenched with their blood. And all the host of heaven will wear away. And the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. And all their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine. So what is coming is the goodness of God and the justice of God. Well, how does God describe that? As he writes to the Apostle John, he, he gives an image of who Jesus is in his power and majesty in chapter, chapter 1. He gives messages to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. Then he catches it up to him to heaven. And, and so he has a glimpse of, what, glimpse of what is happening in heaven before this day of the Lord is unleashed on this earth. And there the worship in heaven really speaks of, of who Jesus is. He's the creator and he's the redeemer. And then just before he, he gets the details of what's going to happen, there's a book up in heaven in which there's no one worthy to open up the seals of the book until they find Jesus. And then Jesus opens the seals and they don't read this book, but this book comes out and he sees the actions that are going to be unfolded upon this planet. And with that, we see what is going to happen. And who is going to happen from the 
the holiness and the justice and the wrath of God will be unleashed here on earth. So beginning in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, we, we see the seals broken out. And let me just say this to begin with, in, in terms of looking how this book flows, I, I've uh, tried to go through Daniel 9 a few times with you, and some of our small groups, I even went more detail if they were in my group. But, but there's, a, there's a period of time promise that is going to happen. And this is the 70th week of Daniel. And as you look at those, those, those details about that, there were some things that had to happen, and then there were some things that if they didn't happen, we know we weren't in them. And so as we see this future period of time, this one week, a seven-year period of time, we see these things now unleashed. And what becomes unleashed is a, is a period which will be divided in half because the, the Antichrist will make an agreement with God's ethnic people of Israel, a peace treaty, and then he'll break that treaty halfway through. And these sealed judgments, what they, what they declare to us is, is the flow will happen through this whole seven-year period. And I, I take the four seals, which are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as happening in the first three and a half years. The fifth seal will happen in the middle of the period of time, and it will extend throughout that seven years. And then the sixth seal describes what will be happening at the end, the last three and a half years. And then as we look into the bowl and the trumpet judgments, we're, we're going to see that in more detail. So let's look at what, however you want to take the book of Revelation, there are things going to happen which will be a warning to anyone. Be prepared. Well, let's look at it this morning. God's judgment, wrath, will allow evil. And, and let me just put it this way. There, there are two ways God can bring judgment. One is in a direct way, or if you, and if you want to put it the other way, in an indirect way. Um, I was sharing one of our small groups this way. You know, as, as parents, sometimes you, you see your children's act, children act up. I mean, my, my kids never did that, but you had kids that acted up, right? Okay, when our kids would act up, and sometimes it, we would be quick on it. We would jump on it like just white on rice. We were just like, immediately, as soon as they did something, we would just get on it. Then other times, you know, after, you know, that didn't seem to stop the future arguments and conflict between our kids. We're saying, okay, we're going to let them see the fruit of their labor, okay? And they would just go at it, all right? And, and they would suffer from that. I mean, they would be angry at each other. They'd hit each other or whatever. No, well. But, but, you know, all we had to do was remove our hand of resistance or, 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 or remove our hand of, of, of stopping things to happen. And then the natural result, the natural consequences of their choices they would experience. And parents, sometimes you need to do that. You can't protect your children all the time. Sometimes they have to learn the hard way, Right? And so what God does is he removes his hand that keeps things from happening. He allows evil to run out its natural course. And so the evil one, Satan, who's on a leash now and will be on a chain later, uh, allows some of his evil to come out. And then later on, God's direct hand unmistakably will happen where people will know this is the wrath of God. So Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, the first seal breaks forward. And it's going to be a seal or a judgment in which God brings a deceptive false peace into this world by simply removing his hand of of keeping the evil one, uh, Satan, to use false Christ and a false Christ from making peace be part of this world. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come. 
And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And we talked about that a little bit last week, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to resist the temptation to talk about it too much this morning. But basically, there's going to be a time in the beginning of that seven-year period of time in which peace will reign. Uh, because uh, there will be one who rises up. Uh, there will be many who will call themselves a Christ or a, a peace leader. But one will uh, emerge beyond the others and will make an agreement with Israel. And he will do it without conquering it, without doing a, a military invasion to solve things by, by eliminating the conflict in a, in a particular area in, in the world, particularly the Middle East. And we see that kind of picture because he goes conquering to conquer with a bow, but no what? No arrows. And so we see that happening. And so peace will start off the period of time. In many ways, people will be excited about this period of time because there isn't the conflict, the open conflict and the fear of what might happen next. That's the first seal that's broken, the first judgment, a devastating false peace. And let me just say this. Uh, uh, this was spoken of by Jesus as well in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 or 5. He says, And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. But it will be a false peace, like in Jeremiah's time, where in Jeremiah 14, verses 13 and 14, the prophet said, Peace, peace, peace. And God says in verse 14, My prophets, or the prophets you're listening to, are telling you that which will not come to pass. And we've, we've seen that happen in a variety of different things in our own recent world history. Because what happens next is, is not only a deceptive false peace, but, a, but uh, God will allow it to bring destructive wars on this planet. Verse 3 and 4. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature uh, saying, Come, and another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, he, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. And so this time in which a, a peace had been brokered by a, a world leader who will know later on as the son of perdition, the, the man of lawlessness, and the Antichrist, then wars will break out. And see, even the evil one, uh, you know, uh, you, can, you can try to rally people around that which is good or rally that which is around evil, but people will still break off. And there will be all kinds of wars that will be happening. And then eventually the Antichrist will have to come in and he will exert his power and his force to take control of the conflicting nations in this world. And, and as we see that, often people will try to do everything they can to, 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 to believe in a peace that will not happen. And, and the wars are the eventual outcome of that. In World War II, or before World War II happened, there was World War you are a bright class this morning, okay? Before World War I, there was a World War II. And World War I was the war that was, was referred to as the, the war that would end all wars. However, that did not happen. But there were many who wanted to make that happen, at least with good intentions. And so in, in Great Britain, uh, what they did is, is, is Hitler came on the scene, and it was interesting because he wrote this massive volume in Kampf in which he, would, he talked about his plans 10 years before it happened. And all of a sudden, he began taking off the surrounding uh, uh, land properties, nations around him that, that during World War I, they had decided in the Versailles Peace Treaty that Germany would never have those lands again. Well, as he began to create this great war machine, people were wondering, Gosh, we, pro we, probably, we, pr we probably ought to engage him, but no one wants war. 
Anybody, uh, anybody a Beatle fan out there? Okay, well, I won't talk about the Beatles then. Okay, well, John, Le- John Lennon has this uh, kind of famous song where he says, give peace a chance, give peace a chance, give peace a chance. And so people always want to give peace a chance. And some people think, well, what would happen in this world if people called a war and nobody showed up? Well, the problem is that you might not show up, but what? They would, all right? And so uh, what happened during that period of time is the uh, Chamberlain, who was the prime minister of England, went to, to, to Munich in 1938 to talk to Hitler. And when he talked to Hitler, they brokered what they thought was a peace treaty. And he came back to England and said, peace with honor, peace in our time. And, and the only one in the House of Parliament probably, at least the only Vulcan, was Winston Churchill. And he said, we have just suffered an unmitigated defeat. And that was before war broke out. And see, that false peace, when when it's a false peace, is is almost the biggest pain. And then the result of that, when people lie and are evil and war breaks out, so war, and, and, and that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, so that you are not frightened, for these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. And, and so now God's plan during that period of time, um, on the, the day of the Lord, the seven years that were predicted by Daniel, he said there, there's going to be some things that you can begin to realize. This is what was predicted by our Lord. But then comes the third seal. And the third horseman of the apocalypse in, in verse um, six, 5 and 6. And he, and he says this. He says, When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature coming saying, Come. I, I looked and behold, a black horse. And he was sat on had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat like for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not change the oil. And do not damage the oil and the wine. So the judgments come, a deceptive false peace, then then destructive wars. Then God allows to bring devastating famine. And in Matthew chapter 24, verses 7 and 8, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, which is the wars we just read about. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Now, um, I, I am, I'm, I've never been a mother, but I am a son of a mother, all right? And I'm, I'm the husband of a wife who brought four children into this world. But, you know, birth pangs, you know, they, uh, they, they start uh, somewhat tame, and then they build in what? An intensity. And, and what birth pangs do is they, 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 they give you a, a final confirmation that what is beginning to protrude out of the stomach of a lovely, gorgeous woman is now going to give birth to something, right? And, and this is what he's saying here. There's peace. And then there are wars. And, and then there are famines. And again, we need to understand, there's always been you know, periods of short peace and wars and famine. But this is a time like no other time. And, and, and these, these are the telltale signs that that what was prophesied in the past are coming to fruition. And, and then he describes, I want you to understand what this famine is going to be like. And we're, we're, again, we're talking a worldwide experience here. It's going to affect everybody. 
he, he said it's going to come to a point where a person, if, if they want to buy something to eat, it's going to take a denarius, which is a day's wage, a, a full day's wage to get a quarter wheat. Now, a quarter wheat was simply you know, rations for one person for one day. Now, if you had a family, that means maybe you would eat, but the rest of the fa- part of the family would not eat. Or there would be one person on your family would eat, but the rest of you wouldn't. So maybe you could have a different choice. If you didn't buy wheat, maybe you could buy wa- uh, barley. And a, a, a day's wage, a denarius, would, would buy three quarts of barley. Now, barley had less nutritional value. And in fact, it was actually used often to feed the livestock. But even then, if you had a large family, it would be insufficient, wouldn't it? If you had three members in your family, you could buy some, some cut-rate food that might allow you to survive for a period of time. But if you had a large family, it, it would be all gone. And see, that even assumes that you even have a daily wage. Because in the midst of all the wars, not only are food supplies cut off, but employment begins to go down. He goes on and says, and, and make sure you don't damage the oil and the wine. Now, th- there's some debate about what that might mean. It, it could mean that, again, the staples to prepare meals, like oil is usually used to cook up what you got, and, and wine particularly was used to purify water, and say, look, at, even those staples are not going to be there. Or some say that you know, the oil and wine are really, the, there are those who are going to be a little bit better off than others, but even them are going to have to say, don't, don't waste the oil and the wine that you do have. So what kind of time will this be? A time of deceptive false feasts, destructive wars, and devastating famines. Fourthly, God will allow evil to bring a depressing amount of death. Look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. When the, when the Lamb broke the fourth seal. And again, we need to understand here, who is the Lamb? The Lamb is Jesus. Jesus is unleashing these judgments on the earth. He who is good, but also just. And when the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth, fourth living creature saying, I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. An ashen horse is, is one of those colors you can't even describe. I mean, you had, you had white, and we had red, and we had black, some pretty clear things. Ashen, some say it's kind of the, the color of... Uh, uh, chlorine, kind of a sickly, yellowish, greenish, you know, just disgusting color. And, and he who sat on it had the name Death and Hades was following him. And so now, now we're, we're speaking about that which is the result of, of wars and famines and disruptive things happening in the world. It's death. But how much death are we talking about here? And Hades probably has a reference to the grave, saying those who die go to the grave, or they go to that place where uh, the intermediate place between the final, particularly if he's speaking about those who are rebellious toward God, uh, there is going to be the lake of fire in the future, and that's, it, it's that place described where God is holding the unrighteous before the final judgment. He said authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth. So what are you saying here? Death has authority over one-fourth of the population on this planet. Now, now can you, you think of any time in this world where one-fourth of the population died? 
I was reading one statistic this past week in which they were talking about all the wars that America, or actually the world has fought, and they said only 100 million people, only 100 million people died because of war. And here, one-fourth, you know, close to, we're getting close to, we're over 7 billion, so however you want to put that out there, getting close to 2 billion people are going to die now in the first part of the seven-year period of time. If you add up what comes next and, and put it together, we're talking about one half of the world's population. Th- this is a period of time like no other time. It used to be churches were described as a, a churches where, where the pastor would preach hell, fire, and what? Brimstone. And in many ways, you were wondering, when you come to church, they're, they're, they're trying to get you to heaven by scaring the what out of you? Scaring the hell out of you, right? I don't like, this scares the hell out of me, right? I don't, I don't, however you take this, whatever you take it that it happened, this, this ought to get people to really believe what God says. It is a, it is a terrible thing to, to fall in the hands of an angry God. What hope do we have if we neglect so great a salvation? And he says, to kill with a sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So as you look at this one-fourth of the population, it's going to happen through the wars, but it's also going to happen because people have nothing to eat. And we, we know there are in pockets of the world today where people die because they don't have enough to eat. Or the result of that, the disease, the pestilence that they, that they experience. And, and the wild beasts. Uh, you know, you know, they've got some horror movies now where they, they come out in end times and, and they're battling those beasts that used to be pets, right? But, you know, just, just take one wild beast that we don't look at. We might not like to have them as pets, but, we, but, but how about rats? You ever, 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 ever thought about just the impact rats can have if they over-multiply and they're not controlled? In, in, uh, in Europe, they had an experience called the Black Death. You know, this is a confined part of the world in, in which rats infected and, and that bubonic plague just spread throughout the population. And they said during that period of time, one-third of Europe died, almost directly involved in what ret, uh, ret rats did to, to just disseminate disease in the land. I, I would take this as what's happening in just the first half of the seven-year period of time, which began encouraging to, to people who, who don't want to consider God. Look, at we got peace now. we got all these religious people out of here. Now we can really focus on it. And let me just tell you, the new atheism today, they really think the world's greatest problems are religious people. I don't know if you read their literature, but they, they used to, the, used to the debate was, okay, is there a God? Is there not a God? Now they've gone on the offense. And they're saying basically religious people are causing all the problems in this world today. Which means they're going to be glad when all of a sudden people are missing. Those people who kept, kept messing us up in this world. Particularly a segment of them, which would be Christians, are gone. Well, what happens next? The fifth seal. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, 
and because of the testimony which they had maintained. So he's speaking here particularly about people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, who will be both Jews and Gentiles. In verse 10, And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, now, now some who... There are, uh, as I go through the series, part of, part of my, my struggle, and again, uh, th- this is a book that's widely debated in terms of understanding um, uh, the, the details of it. Uh, some look at this and say, well, it it's really ought to be translated, uh, dwelled on the land, and in which they want to they somehow put this place right in Jerusalem in one period of time. And the word for the Greek word for earth here is uh, geis, and it, it can be translated land. But what's interesting, I have a, I have a book on my shelf that's that is um, uh, the English Bible in twenty six translations. Okay, so if you want to compare translations, and I looked this up, and not one of them translated as land; they translate as the earth. Okay, and so this is a global thing that's happening, and this global thing is happening. Uh, as, as, they, as they see the evil run rampant, and as people are killed because of their faith, they cry out to God, God, okay, your goodness means you need to do something with this evil. And God answers. And, and, and they know that's not their responsibility because the Bible said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says who? Says the Lord. Verse 11, and there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer. Which simply says, look, I, I know you, you want me to, to deal with evil now. And, and that's, that's a challenge for many people today. How can you believe in a good God? And we began with God is good. When it seems like if God was good, he'd do something with the evil that seems to prosper, even in our world today, at the measure it does. And we tell people, it's not that God can't do that, or even that he will do that. It's simply, when will he do it in its completeness? And that will intensify, even among God's people, that when are you going to deal with the evil that's happening in this world? And God says, okay, now really, I can really tell you now, now just a little while longer. And then he says, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. And that could speak to two types of people. One, those who, who will be martyred for their faith during that period of time. And I'm still going to rescue others into the faith. And I, I'm, I'm holding on till that is complete. And even as my wrath is poured out here on earth as well. And so the point here is that, that God is going to bring despair, but many will be delivered. Often, often the church prays for revival or, or for, for God just to change the course of this history, of this world, in terms that, that many and many will be saved. This will be, I believe, the period of the greatest revival in all of world history, as many will turn to Jesus. Not everybody. But many will. And as they experience the forgiveness of Christ and 
and deal with the evil in their own lives that, that want evil to be dealt with. And God says, it's, it's going to come in a time, but it's not completed yet. And then finally this morning, God removes his hand the first three and a half years during that period of time and right in that middle point, which we'll see later on. And he brings a false peace, a deceptive false peace. He, he, he brings destructive wars, devastating famines, a depressing amount of, defe- of death. And I, just choosing these D words. I, I can't think of any other word to say. This, no one delights in that many people dying. And he'll bring despair even among God's people, but, but many will be delivered or saved. Then finally, as we look toward the end, God's judgment, wrath, will then plan directly to bring direct, overwhelming consequences for rebellion, and most still will not repent. Look at verses 12 through 17. John writes, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and again, this is Jesus, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black, a sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood and the stars in the sky fell to earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a strong wind god begins to, to unleash in that which is is his creative order and people begin to realize this is beyond what men do this this has to be coming from above and they'll see it in the sky and they'll see it here on the earth and the word for stars here is the word from aster, which has the idea of asteroid. It doesn't have to mean these, the, the, the biggest things up in the heavens. But, but meteors or comets will, will come down and begin destroying the things here on earth. Uh, the, the sun will be blocked out and, and the moon will turn red. And you think, well, how could that happen? Well, there's some people who have written some very popular books, the, the blue... The, I, I brought it even here with me to describe it. Okay, um... Uh, I don't know if you've, if you've done any reading in the, um, the Blue Moon Prophecy. Anybody read about that? I don't need to comment on it, then do I? All right, so anyway, uh, John Hagee, is, uh, Pastor John Hagee, uh, is really kind of popular in that. And, and, and since April 15, 2004, there was a total lunar ex- uh, eclipse. It was the first of four consecutive total eclipses in a series known as Tetrad. A second one took place in October, and then another one... Uh, April 4th, 2015, and the remaining one will take place on September 28th, 2015. So another person's kind of predicting that it's going to happen in a few months. It is one of eight that's happened in the 21st century, and the red color is caused by the scattering of sunlight through the Earth's atmosphere, and the same effect that causes sunsets to appear red makes the moon appear red. And so that, that happens, that's happened even in recent months, I don't think this is probably what's going to cause the, the sun to turn red. I, I think when the great earthquakes begin to blast out on this earth and when there's maybe even a continental shift in which things begin to move. And nobody talks about every mountain will change and every island move. We're not talking about great distances, but there will be a movement. There will be a shaking. The word for, for earthquakes is, is, comes from seismos. It will be a seismic change in our planet. But it doesn't mean that everything has moved, you know, dis- great distances. But, but when volcanic ash begins to explode in the, into the skies, and, and when the dust and the clouds go there, there, there will be a change in the color, this, this moon that brings light, and, and through that light it will look red. 
But what's the response of people? Let's look at verse 14. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth, the leaders of this earth, and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves among the rocks and the mountains. And in other words, everyone's the same now. doesn't matter what kind of place you are on the social order. You will all respond the same way as God's wrath is poured on the earth. And verse 16, and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of who? The lamb. Now, the other response could be just falling down in repentance. And there will be those, particularly Israel at the end, who will, who will see their redeemer and repent. But the vast majority, if they, even as they see, this has to be the hand of an almighty God, all they'll want is to hide. For the great day of their wrath has come. And there's a question. And who? Who is able to stand? There will be no one who will stand who have neglected so great a salvation that has been offered now and then. And only those who have bowed their knee and their heart to Jesus will be delivered and rescued. Let's pray. Father, when we hear and read the words of what is coming, every one of us here this morning needs to be sure in whom we put our trust. If we put our trust in attending a church or occasionally reading the Bible or praying, but not knowing the author of this book or the one we're speaking to in our prayers, then we have no true hope. But Father, the invitation is, is given to all. Behold, Jesus stands at the door of, of everyone's life. And if we will open that door and receive him as our Lord and Savior, then we can know him and be rescued from the wrath and judgment that is to come. And we can have that life that begins now. Father, I just really pray that no one here will play with eternity. That they might convince themselves of who they are, sinners in need of a Savior, and give their hearts fully and completely to the one who came for them and the one who is coming again. Open up the hearts and lies of each one of us this morning to make sure we know the Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.